Hello, and thanks for tuning in to Street Law's Sex and Relationship Education podcast series, Sex, Laws, and Audio Tapes. My name is Louise, and I'm joined here today by Emily, Chardet, and Nicolette. We're all postgraduate law students in the final stages of our training before joining the world of work. This week, we will be looking at the topic of drugs and the law to help you build information into a broader scheme of work exploring the topic of drugs, including, for example, the health, financial, and social implications of drug use. We will be looking at why we teach students about drugs, why bother, and why is it really of relevance. We will then introduce what the law is concerning drug possession and use. We'll focus on possession, intent to supply, and supply. And that's in order to educate young people on the key offenses that are likely to be relevant to them. Following that, we will discuss what kinds of activities could be useful for you to use in the classroom in order to support students' understanding of what the law says on drugs. We will finish by providing you with guidance on useful websites and resources where you can access more information about teaching the topic of drugs, should you want to explore that. So first of all, I'd like to kind of kick off this group discussion and ask whether anyone knows what the trends are looking like in terms of drug usage amongst young children in secondary schools. Well, I would think that there is a lot of drug taking going on amongst teenagers at the moment. Um, So I'd say about 30% of teenagers are using drugs. Hmm. So it's interesting that you say that actually, because contrary to popular belief, over the last 20 years, there has been quite a downward trend in young teenagers and adults using drugs, with a vast majority not using them at all. This is according to the PHSE Association's talk podcast, um, that would be episode five on substance education. And they summarized the findings of a survey conducted in England amongst 11 to 15 year olds, which tracked patterns of substance use every year since right about before the 2000s. So it's quite a public health success story. um, And hopefully it is reflective of continued education in schools and other settings about the consequences of drug taking. Although we are seeing a downward trend, given the potentially very serious consequences of drug taking, it is still very important that this topic continues not to be seen as taboo to talk about it. So it's really crucial to continue having these open discussions with children in order to sustain this decrease. This is especially so as while there is evidence of a downward trend, as I've mentioned, This decrease has been slowing recently, according to a smoking, drinking, and drug use among young people in England report by the NHS, which was conducted in 2018. 17% of pupils said that they had taken drugs in the last year, compared to 18% in 2016. And 8% of pupils said they had used cannabis in the last year, which is the same as in 2016, but below the 13% reported in 2001. There are also discrepancies in the downward trend across the different drug classes. So for example, there has been a rise in the use of class A drugs like cocaine and ecstasy among 16 to 24 year olds, which is a sharper increase seen in early 20 year olds. 
Around 8.7% of adults in England and Wales aged 16 to 24 had taken a Class A drug in the last year, according to the 2018-2019 Crime Survey for England and Wales. Powder cocaine use among young adults rose between 2011-2012 and 2018-2019 from 4.1% to 6.2% while ecstasy use rose among this age group from 3.3% to 4.7%. Okay, wow. That's actually quite surprising, and it's not something that I would have thought. Yeah, me neither, actually. Um, And another question I have for you all is, why do you think that young children start doing drugs? Do you think there might be, you know, any reasons or any trends as to reasons why? So I would guess that young people are influenced by the social circles they move in and whether their friends are regularly using them or not. And then I would also say that peer pressure to fit in and follow the crowd has a lot to do with young people trying drugs for the first time. I would also add that boredom might lead to children trying drugs for the first time, perhaps because they crave something new and exciting. Yeah, and I would also say that it could be an act of rebellion, similar to getting a piercing or tattoo. I would also think that drug use could result from a desire to escape, um, to feel good, or even to build up confidence in a stressful event. So, for example, when you want to dance or kiss someone, it could give you a boost of confidence or reduce your anxiety. Thank you all so much. Those are actually really, really valid points. Um, I'd like to highlight what the Charities Partnership to End Addiction and Young Minds um, have put out. Uh, They've put out really useful information on the different factors that can influence teenage drug use. And as your answers might point out, there can often be more than one at play. One of the core reasons that is highlighted is that it's very common for teenagers to start smoking marijuana, for example, because it is all around them. Uh, They see a lot of their friends enjoying it um, and it's quite easy to get. So sometimes it's almost seen as a teenage rite of passage and they tend not to question it as much. Another really big reason, especially recently, is the explicit referencing of drug use, especially marijuana in popular media. So music, especially hip hop and rap, often talk about drugs and TV shows as well. They also portray drug use to make it almost seem like it's a normal thing to do. Uh, For example, the popular teenage program Skins does that. And 45% of teens, when surveyed in 2012, agreed with the statement that the music that teens listen to makes marijuana seem cool. Additionally, young people can generally be more prone to impulsive and risk-taking behavior, which is linked to the natural development of the adolescent brain, hence why people might experiment with drug-taking for the first time around this age. Young Minds research also indicates that many young people also use drugs as a form of self-medication to either relieve stress or to give them extra energy. Uh, which, for example, they would use, you know, to power through an exam period. These factors that can leave young people more more vulnerable to substance misuse, including living in a deprived area, being excluded from mainstream education, witnessing or experiencing violence, those making sense of their gender identity and sexuality, and those not feeling able to turn to others for support. 
These factors combined lead to a lot of misinformation about the risks associated with drug use being given to teenagers who don't really know better than to trust what they see and experience. This is why it is so important that we as educators give them accurate information and teach them the consequences of something that can appear to be so you know, normal amongst their peers. Thank you so much for this information. It's actually super helpful. Yeah, so I, I really hope that this helps to understand why it is so important to make, you know, education like this mandatory in schools. Um, and now I would like to actually turn to, you know, what the law says about using and possessing drugs. Hi, this is Emily here. I want to start off by providing an overview of what is classed as an illegal drug under the law in the UK. So in the UK, the law defines and identifies a series of offences associated with what are called controlled drugs. And uh, the relevant piece of law that governs this area in the UK is called the Misuse of Drugs Act. And this divides controlled drugs into three categories according to their level of danger. So class A controlled drugs are the most serious and include things such as cocaine and crack, ecstasy, heroin, LSD, crystal meth and magic mushrooms. Now, class B controlled drugs are in the next level of seriousness and include amphetamines, ketamine, uh, synthetic cannabinoids such as spice and non-medical cannabis. Medical cannabis, we must mention, has actually been legalised in the UK since the 1st of November 2018 and can be prescribed by specialist doctors. Uh, now, Class C controlled drugs include things like anabolic steroids and uh, minor tranquilizers. So I'm now going to explain a scenario and I'd like you guys to tell me what you think might happen and what the legal consequences would be to, th to this. So let's say I am a 14 year old girl and I'm walking home with a bunch of classmates. One of my friends pulls out a marijuana joint and starts smoking. So very quickly, the joint is passed around and eventually given to me. Because everyone else is doing it, I decide to try. I take a puff and a couple of minutes later, I feel calmer, but also slightly queasy at the same time. I say I'm not sure I like the feeling, but someone in the group tells me that it will get better in time if I build up more of a tolerance to it. He then says to me that he has some extra joints that he can sell to me for £20. Since I have the money on me, I decide to give him the money in exchange for these two joints that he's put inside a pencil case, which I slip into my backpack. And as this is happening, a passerby sees this exchange and reports it to the police. So a police officer arrives at the scene, but at this point, our group of friends are just sort of stood around chatting. Now the question is, have we got away with it? Can the police officer do anything at this point? Hmm, well, I don't think the police officer would be able to do anything at that point. Uh, since they're children, they're, they're probably not allowed to search them or go through their personal possessions. Well, actually, police officers have the power to stop, detain and search anyone of any age if they have a reasonable suspicion that they are in possession of a controlled drug. 
So a reasonable suspicion would likely include an eyewitness account describing someone matching your description being seen taking or exchanging drugs. And in this scenario, it is likely that the police would conduct a search, which can include any bag you are carrying at the time. And I would have been found with a joint in my bag. And therefore, they will then arrest and likely charge me with possession of a controlled drug. Okay, uh, so what does this mean? And, and what happens next? So the police officer will explain the following to you. You are being arrested on suspicion of possession of a controlled substance. And this is because when a person is unlawfully in physical possession or in control of a substance or product that is listed in the Misuse of Drugs Act, they have committed an offence. Are there any defences that I could put forward to say I'm not guilty of possession? You would have to show you didn't know or didn't have any reason to suspect you had the drugs on you and or had any reason to believe or suspect that it was a drug. So, for example, someone asked you to carry something for them and in this scenario it would be the pencil case and the joints were hidden inside the item without your knowledge. The police will look at all the circumstances such as the packaging the drugs were in, any phone calls or text messages sent at the time about the package itself. Um, in this scenario, it is unlikely you would, you, would, you would successfully show that you didn't know you had the drugs on you, particularly in light of the eyewitness account. Could I also be charged with any other drugs-related offences in this situation? So the other relevant offences are intent to supply and supply. Possession with intent to supply is committed when somebody has a controlled drug in their possession with the intent to supply it with another who has no legal right to possess it. So supply is the simple act of actually passing a controlled drug from one person to another, whether or not for profit. Okay. Um, and what evidence could the police use against me uh, to prove that I intended to supply or actually did supply drugs to someone else? So the police would look at circumstantial evidence, uh, for example, how the drugs were wrapped, the quantity you had on you. They will often get experts to give evidence on what quantity would be deemed too large to realistically be for personal use. And they could also search your home to see if, they, if, if the setup looked like you might be supplying drugs, such as scales, bags, cling film, large sums of inexplicable cash hidden in the house. It's unlikely, though, that there would be enough evidence to support you in this case being charged with these other more serious offences. Statements made at the time of arrest can be very important. For example, imagine after the police had found the marijuana on you and in the statement given to the police, you've said, I was holding them for a friend. You might still be charged with a drug offence here. And that would be intent to supply. Okay, interesting. Um, so what, what are the consequences of being found guilty for a drug offence? The consequences for the offences will differ according to what class of drugs you are committing an offence with. Unsurprisingly, Class A drugs carry, a he carry heavier penalties than Class B or Class C drugs. What do you think, though, the maximum penalties are for possession of a Class A drug, intent to supply and supplying it? So I would say that the maximum penalty for possessing a Class A drug is five years in prison um, and maybe, I would say, 15 years for supplying. So you're kind of close. 
possessing a class A drug carries a maximum penalty of seven years in prison and a fine. Intent to supply and supplying a class A drugs carries the maximum penalty of life in prison and a fine. The exact penalty you will get depends on things like the quantity of the drug where you and the drugs were found, your personal history, for instance, any previous convictions or crimes, including any previous drug offences, whether you complied with the investigation and whether the supply was done socially or for profit. And now going back to our previous scenario, what class does marijuana fall into and what do you think the maximum penalties are for possession of this class of drug and supplying it? So, if I remember correctly, uh, marijuana is a class B drug. Uh, so, I would say that it would be around five years or so. You're absolutely right. It is a class B drug. For class B drugs, possessing can lead to five years in prison and a fine, while intent to supply or supplying it can lead to 14 years and a fine. Now, again, the exact sentence will depend on some of the factors I mentioned earlier. They will also look at factors, for instance, were you smoking the cannabis in a public in a public place in view of members of the public, especially near places young people frequent, like a school? And in this scenario, the answer is yes, which could indeed mean a harsher sentence. Um, however, it is worth noting that police can issue a warning or an on-the-spot fine of £90 if you're found with cannabis on you. And also, if you're under 18, the police are allowed to tell your parent, guardian or carer that you've been caught with drugs. Could I maybe try and argue that um, I was using cannabis to alleviate symptoms um, associated with some sort of medical condition um, in order to help lessen my sentence? You would usually need to put forward medical evidence to support this. For instance, a doctor's note that you had sought treatment for the pain. Okay, so I just have one last question. Um, what, uh, f how, how about the penalties for Class C drugs? What, what do they look like? Class C drugs will carry a maximum penalty of two years and a fine for possessing one, while intent to supply or supplying one is the same as a Class B drug, so 14 years and a fine. Thank you, Emily, so much for going through the scenario with me. Um, I think it's it's really helpful to guide, um, you know, both students, um, teachers through what the law actually says. So thank you. So now I want to turn to Charday um, and ask what ways you know, might you teach young people about the law on drugs in the classroom? Hi. So there are a lot of ways that you could integrate activities into the classroom. You could start with an icebreaker where the students guess the drug catchphrase or nickname from pictures. So a picture of a plant pot would be pot, which is a nickname for cannabis. You could then have a list of drugs and ask students to assign the drugs to categories a, B or C, according to the level of seriousness with which those drugs are treated by the law. You could then ask students to consider what penalties they think might apply to someone found guilty of possession or supplying drugs within that category. For another classroom activity, you could introduce a debate on whether cannabis should be legalised or not. 
students could be asked to research and argue different points of view. This can help to focus students' minds on the different implications of drug use for both individuals and society. So for example, the health risks of drug taking for the individual, such as organ damage, mental health problems and death, but also the potential strain on the healthcare system of treating substance users. They could discuss the potential safety benefits of legalising drug production, such as the ingredients being properly regulated, versus concerns that cannabis could act as a gateway drug to more dangerous drugs. There are many online resources and news articles to support a drugs debate, and comparisons can be drawn with countries who have decriminalised possession, such as Uruguay or the Netherlands, where coffee shops are granted permits to trade cannabis. If you drop us an email at streetlawteam at bpp.com, we'll be able to provide an activity sheet to help you run the drugs debate. So when delivering activities, we do recommend that you use hypothetical scenarios in the classroom rather than talking about real life situations that the individuals may have found themselves in, as we find that these distancing techniques can help individuals to express their opinions and share their views in a safe environment without feeling as though they're being targeted. Um, so as I said, if you need any further information or help with these activities, please drop us an um, an email at streetlawteam at bpp.com. Thank you, Sharday, for all these great ideas. I hope you will all find them very useful. So, Nicolette, I have a question for you. Where can teachers find additional resources and information to help them teach their students about drugs? The PSHE Association has some really great resources, including lesson plans and some additional class activities that may be quite useful for teachers when designing their drug education classes. They do have a pay-for membership. However, a lot of the materials are available free of charge. You can find these resources by going to the PSHE Association website, hovering over the Resources and Curriculum tab at the top of the page, and then selecting drug and alcohol education. From here, if you select lesson plans, resources and knowledge organisers and scroll to the bottom of the page, you should be able to see the resources available under attachments. Another great resource that is out there is drugwise.org.uk. This website houses a variety of reports and articles on a wide range of topics surrounding drugs, such as frequently asked questions, statistics on drug use and their prevalence, and the health effects of drugs, um, which includes both physical and mental. The website also contains information about the debate surrounding law reform in the area of drugs, which may be quite useful for the cannabis debate activity mentioned by Sade. That's really useful, Nicolette. Thank you so much. Um, and are there any resources that should be brought to the students' attention as well? I think the best resource to bring to the students' attention is talktofrank.com, which is a comprehensive database that can be quite helpful to the teachers as well. It contains information on what certain drugs look like, what the effects of them are, the risks associated with taking a particular drug, the laws surrounding them, and much, much more. They also operate a 24-7 confidential phone line for help and advice, which may be useful to students who may not feel comfortable talking to their families or teachers about some of the issues they may be experiencing and want some independent, non-judgmental advice. Thank you so much, Nicolette, for all of this information. 
So to conclude this podcast episode, I just like to highlight that, you know, while using and possessing drugs is against the law, we do need to approach this topic with students in a very supporting way and through the methods of education rather than, you know, telling students off or scaring them. I think it's also important to remind them that while it may seem normal amongst their peers to use drugs, there are, you know, very serious consequences to using them. You can send any questions, comments, or feedback on the podcast to our email address at streetlawteam at bpp.com or through voicemail to the podcast website. Uh, the website we're using is Anchor. And you can do so by going onto the podcast page and clicking the button that says leave message. We will aim to provide answers to your questions in future podcast episodes. So if you have any suggestions as to how we can improve, please let us know. I think we all want to thank you very much for listening. And we really hope that this is helpful when delivering education on drugs to your students. Tune in for further podcasts relating to the statutory sex and relationships education program. 